We're continuing in our series entitled Sanctuary, Salvation, and Our Savior. And let's do a brief review from last Sabbath. We studied about how Moses was given a blueprint of the sanctuary in heaven. This was to be a miniature replica of God's house in heaven, and Moses was given the exact dimensions and the materials as to how he was to build this earthly sanctuary, and there were three compartments in the sanctuary that Moses was to build. You had the courtyard, which had two articles of furniture, the brazen altar and the laver. You had the holy place, which had three articles of furniture, the candlesticks, the altar of incense, and the table of showbread. And then you had the most holy place, which had one article of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. And God's plan was to bring humanity back to the Father's house. We studied last Sabbath how the sanctuary was used as a place where it was the command center of the universe, kind of like the White House, which is the residence of the president and also his command center. It was a place of gathering and a place of worship. And after sin, this place, the command center, took on the additional functions of the plan of salvation. And Adam and Eve, back in Eden before sin, were able to have face-to-face communion with God right here, signified by the most holy place experience, face-to-face conversation with God. Imagine what that would have been like. After sin, we were not able to have that face-to-face encounter anymore, so we were outside of the sanctuary, and God's plan is to bring us all the way back, to bring us home into the courtyard, into the holy place, and into the most holy place. And in the book of Revelation 22, when it's all said and done, the Bible says, and we shall see his face, and his name shall be on our foreheads. Let's take a look at the structure of the sanctuary. The sanctuary was not a big structure, at least the one that was given to Moses, the tent tabernacle. It was 150 feet long and 75 feet wide, a rectangle, and the wall around the sanctuary was not an iron wall made of stones and bricks. It was made of linen all the way around the sanctuary, and there was one way into the sanctuary, one way into the courtyard, one way into the holy place, and one way into the most holy place, and at the entrances of each compartment was not a gate of iron with a padlock. Praise God. There was a veil over each one of the entrances. The courtyard was surrounded by a linen fence. There was one way into the sanctuary. The way in was through veils. There were actually three veils, and here are the references. The veil to the courtyard, Exodus 38, 8. The veil to the holy place, Exodus 26, 37, referred to as the hanging. And the veil to the most holy place, those three veils. And this implied an invitation to enter. 
also to enter with reverence and awe. There was no floor to the tabernacle. It sat on the ground. There was no barrier between the tabernacle and the earth. And the same ground that the Ark of the Covenant, which had the Shekinah glory and the presence of God, was standing on the same ground as the Israelites. Think about the implications of this. The Shekinah glory sat on the same ground as everybody else, but it was packaged in a veil. And we come to our first point in your study guide. If you want to follow along, there is a study guide in your bulletin, and this is point number one from our study today. The sanctuary reveals the incarnation of Jesus. The sanctuary reveals the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus did not become physically like the nature of Adam before the fall. He took on the nature of humanity after the fall. Physically, he took on our humanity, and heaven came all the way down. The Bible declares that the heavens itself cannot contain the glory of God, and it's a wonderful thing to contemplate and a mystery how the God of heaven could put himself into a human being. And yet, that glory was packaged in humanity so that we could interact with God. Just like the sanctuary came all the way down, Jesus came all the way down, yet he was packaged in human flesh. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the veil is his flesh. The sanctuary reveals the incarnation. And look at this in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. The Shekinah glory dwelling with the people of God in John chapter 1 and verse 14, talking about Jesus and the word Jesus was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Look at the words, dwelt among us. That is a direct reference to Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, a direct reference to the sanctuary. In other words, Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, was symbolized in the structure of the sanctuary itself. The Shekinah glory came all the way down, yet it was packaged. It was in, in a veil. It was in the package of humanity so that we could behold the glory and the character of God mind-boggling accommodation of the transcendent God of the universe becoming human so that we could behold his glory. Amen? This is from the book Desire of Ages. I have this quotation in your study guide. In these words is announced the fulfillment of the purpose that has been hidden from eternal ages. Christ was about to visit our world and become incarnate. He says, a body thou hast prepared for me. Had he appeared with the glory that was his before the Father, 
with the Father before the world was, we could not have endured the light of his presence. That we might behold it and not be destroyed, the manifestation of his glory, and listen to this, was shrouded. Ah, and look at the language that Desire of Ages uses. His divinity was veiled with humanity, the invisible glory in the visible human form. God became man, and the glory was shrouded, was veiled, the invisible God in the visible human form. Dr. Leslie Harding says this, Christ took human nature as a screen through which to display God's character to the universe. Praise his name. We come to our point number two in your study guide. The sanctuary reveals the plan of salvation. The sanctuary reveals the incarnation of Jesus. He came all the way down and the glory of God was packaged and veiled in human flesh. And the sanctuary reveals the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. When you look at the sanctuary, there were not five or ten entrances into the sanctuary. There was only one way in. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus' claim is a claim of exclusivity, not plurality. Jesus said, look, I am the door. Jesus is the only way. And when you look at the sanctuary, this indicates through the veils that God is not trying to keep us out of heaven. Amen? There's not a combination code. There's not a deadbolt on the front. There's not an admission fee. Praise the Lord. Jesus said, look, I am the door. I am the access point. We come to our first point of the plan of salvation. We come into the sanctuary through Jesus, and because of Jesus, and the entire sanctuary structure is all about Jesus. He is the embodiment of the sanctuary, and the first point of access is because of Jesus. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the entry point. Jesus is our access. John chapter 10 verse 9 says, I am the door. Jesus is the door. Then we come to our first article of furniture, and that is the brazen altar. And this altar of sacrifice represents Jesus as our Savior. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And I praise his name, going back to this diagram here, that that article of furniture is the first one, not the last one. In other words, you enter because of Jesus, and at this brazen altar, you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. No questions asked. 
and you are saved. Do you believe that? Amen? Praise His name that that's the first article of furniture, not the last. In other words, you don't have to go through this pilgrimage of multiple pieces of furniture in order to have the assurance of eternal life. You come, to, you come through Jesus to the first article of furniture. You accept Jesus as your Savior. You're saved. Amen. And you can have that assurance and that grounding, that foundation carries you through the rest of your experience in the sanctuary. You are considered saved once you accept Jesus as your Savior. That's the beauty of the gospel. Some people think, oh, I need to go through all this rigor until I have the assurance of salvation. But when you look at the sanctuary, you come in the first article of furniture, you accept Jesus as your Savior, you're saved, and God says, look, let's go on a journey in the security of that assurance and that salvation. Some people think that article of furniture is the last one. Got to go through all these requirements and steps and then, oh, okay, then maybe I'm saved, right? But you come to that first article and you accept Jesus, you're saved. Praise His name. And that reality is there regardless of how you feel. Amen? Sometimes your emotions go up and down. Sometimes you feel safe. Sometimes you don't. But that's why we believe in salvation by faith. You believe it regardless of the way you feel because Jesus has promised it. That assurance comes in the first article of furniture and then God says, look, I want to, I want to take you to the next article of furniture and no, notice that these are in succession. You enter through the door, then you come to the first piece of furniture, you accept Jesus as your savior and then God says, look, I want to do something to you in your life and you come to the laver and that was a basin with water and which represents Jesus as our cleanser. You're saved and then he says, I want to wash you. First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You are saved, you accept Jesus as your Savior, and Jesus says, I want to wash you. If, if you find a baby on the streets of Anchorage that is naked and dirty, the first thing that you're going to do is cover that baby. Amen? You're going to cover the baby. You're going to clothe the baby. And then you're going to take that baby home and give the baby a bath. An analogy. Jesus covers us with his robe of righteousness. You are saved. You are declared righteous. And Jesus says, let's go through a cleansing process. And this is symbolized through the baptism that we have. Your sins are washed away, according to Acts chapter 26. So you accept Jesus as your Savior. Jesus takes you to the heavenly basin and begins a cleansing process. And you go into the waters of baptism, which represents the cleansing that Jesus is doing in your own heart. Jesus is our cleanser. So you come in, accept Jesus as your Savior. You're baptized. Jesus washes your sins away. Then you go into the holy place experience. Now, now, the interesting thing about the holy place is that there is not a logical next piece of furniture. They're arranged in a triad. The first two articles of furniture, there is a clear implied 
numerical order. You come in to the brazen altar, then you come to the laver, then you go into the holy place, but they're in a triad indicating that these three are to, by implication, be continued on simultaneously. Let's come to the first article of furniture, the table of showbread. Jesus is our sustainer. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The sanctuary is all about Jesus. We are saved through Jesus. We are saved because of Jesus. And when we're born into this world physically, no parent that is in their right mind and that has any shred of love in their hearts. Can you imagine a baby's born and the parents are like, oh, praise God. You're on your own. Kick you to the curb. Treat you like you're 21 and say, hey, go for it. Good luck. No parent does that after a baby's born. There is nurture. There, the baby needs to be sustained. And sometimes we think that once we've been born again as a Christian, that we're on our own. <laughs> that, that we need to live the rest of our Christian experience in our own strength, in our own sustenance, in our own ability. But Jesus says, look, even as you have been born again because of Jesus, you need Jesus to live, to be sustained, to grow as a Christian, and the Bible says, even as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk ye in him. In other words, be born in Jesus and walk in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He says, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. The Christian is sustained by the word of God. See, the courtyard is about becoming a Christian. The holy place is about growing as a Christian and being sustained as a Christian. And you need that spiritual bread every day to grow and be sustained as a Christian. Jesus is our sustainer. You come to the lampstand and Jesus is our light. He is our spiritual illumination. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus guides our path. Jesus gives us direction through the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us power and enlightenment and is the divine teacher through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus shares with us light and truth, we are to share that light and truth with others. We come to the next article of furniture, and this is the altar of incense. And in the book of Revelation, the altar of incense stood before the veil to the most holy place, but that incense permeated the entire sanctuary. You could smell the incense and the sweet aroma wafting throughout the entire sanctuary. This was, this was a very... Uh, a beautiful experience that, that took in all of your senses. The incense arising, according to the book of Revelation, were, were the prayers of God's people. And as we pray, 
it ascends to God. But our prayers need to be mingled with the aroma of not our name, but every time we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen? And the beautiful thing about this article of furniture is that as we grow as a Christian and as we mature, there is the temptation sometimes to become proud and to assume that, hey, this is my righteousness. This is because I'm doing a good job, and this is because I have some sort of merit. And so as you pray, there is the tendency to, to come to God and say, look, look what I have done. But the altar of incense, representing the prayers of God's people, is always to be prayed in the name of Jesus, indicating it doesn't matter how many years you may have been a Christian, how much growing you have been done, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And you always pray in the name of Jesus, in the righteousness of Jesus, claiming his righteousness. So as our prayers ascend, they are mingled with the merits of Christ's righteousness and the life that he lived, and they are ascending before God, His righteousness. The altar of incense represents our prayers, but, but more than that, they represent the righteousness of Christ. Christ, our righteousness. Revelation 5, verse 8, 8, verse 3, and Psalm 141, verse 2, reveal the mingling of this incense with the prayers of the saints. And when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. This is from Review and Herald, June 18, 1896, Ellen White. It is our privilege and duty to bring the e efficacy of the name of Christ into our petitions. And the use of the very arguments that Christ used in our behalf, our prayers will then be in complete harmony with the will of God. Then it is that Christ clothes the contrite suppliant with his own priestly vestments and the human petitioner approaches the altar holding the holy censer from which ascends the incense of the fragrance of the merit of Christ's righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? That as we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus and our prayers are with the righteousness of Christ. And it doesn't matter how many works you may have been doing, even through the power of God, they are still filthy rags. And you still need the righteousness of Christ, even in the holy place experience. We come to point number three. The sanctuary reveals the roles of Jesus. The sanctuary is all about Jesus. It's the incarnation of Jesus. It's the plan of salvation through Jesus. And it reveals the roles of Jesus. There are two critical roles in the sanctuary. You have the first role. Jesus is our lamb. John chapter 1, verse 29. John pointed to Jesus. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Oh, if the Jews had just understood that introduction of Jesus, they would not have missed the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came in the role of the Lamb. He lived a righteous life. He died and then went to heaven. When he died on the cross, the temple veil was rent from top to bottom, indicating that no human hand that had rent that veil. And there are many well-meaning Christians today that say, oh, when Jesus died on the cross, that is an indication that the Old Testament sanctuary is no longer relevant for our, our day. It's no longer relevant for our understanding because Jesus was the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb, and we don't need that Old Testament relic of the sanctuary anymore. I want you to look at the screen when you see the second role of Jesus. Jesus is our high priest, according to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. And let's read this, these verses carefully. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have a high priest who is sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. The Bible indicates that the second role that Jesus took on after he became the lamb, he died on the cross, went to heaven. What did Jesus do when he went to heaven? He became our high priest. And according to Hebrews chapter 8, this high priest, Jesus, is serving in a heavenly sanctuary. So the sanctuary is not irrelevant after the cross. The sanctuary is even more relevant because Jesus is serving as our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary on our behalf. The sanctuary is very relevant for us as Christians. Now, if you were to ask a Christian on the street, what did Jesus do at the cross? They would usually be able to give you some answers about what Jesus was able to accomplish at the cross. But if you were to ask a Christian on the street, what is Jesus doing right now? And why has he been taking 2,000 years to bring us back home? I dare say many Christians would not have an answer. The only reference point for understanding what Jesus is doing right now is the sanctuary. There is no other intelligent answer biblically of what Jesus is doing right now other than the sanctuary. The sanctuary provides a reference point, a framework for understanding what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. It is a model, a reference point for our understanding. I think I told this story a number of years ago, but I'll tell it again just for emphasis. I was born in Tacoma Park, Maryland at Washington Adventist Hospital. And it's a strange thing being uh, an Asian that has never been to Asia. <laughs> oh, or a Korean that has never been to Korea. 
And uh, it's fascinating being Asian uh, in America and Asian American because you're like the eternal immigrant. Doesn't matter how long you've been in this country or born in this country. I was sharing this at prayer meeting. It's always, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm from Tacoma Park, Maryland. I was born. No, where are you really from? I mean, what if I were to turn that around and say, uh, where are you from? Oh, you know, Minnesota. No, where are you really from? And then when I tell them, oh, my parents are from Korea, they say, oh, I like kimchi. And, uh, and uh, you know, um, it's just this fascinating thing. Anyway, so, so finally, I got the opportunity to go to, to Asia. I still haven't been to Korea, but I, I got the opportunity to speak in Tokyo. So I was like, oh. I, I got to take advantage of this opportunity. I went to Asia for the first time. It was an amazing experience. Anyone here been to, to Japan or Tokyo? And uh, their, their subway lines run by the second on time. If they're eight seconds late, they apologize to everyone. I mean, it's a split-second accuracy, amazing uh, place to, to visit. And I spoke there. And afterwards, my wife and I are like, let's, let's tack on some vacation time. So we took like an additional 10 or so days, gone on a bullet train from Tokyo to Kyoto. And we arrived in uh, Kyoto all excited, and we got out in the subway station. The, the hotel was close by, and so we took all our luggage, dropped it off at the hotel, and then we're going to go sightseeing. So we went into this vast building. This is the Kyoto a subway station. This thing was mammoth. It was huge. It had escalators that were like six stories going up, and we're walking around there, and then we walked around again, walked around again, and started seeing the same things, and we were going in circles, and if you've ever been lost in a foreign country, it goes from this uneasiness to this feeling of complete disorientation, and then you're terrified, <laughs> and you're hungry, you're hangry. <laughs> Ever been hangry before? And it's the most frustrating thing because Korean is not Japanese, contrary to popular opinion. <laughs> and I'd go up to these people and try to speak English, and they would go like this. And we're, we're trying to figure out where we are, and it was a horrifying nightmare in Kyoto. Up and down because we did not understand where we were. No reference point. No understanding. We didn't understand anything. We're going around and finally, praise the Lord, we found something that unlocked Kyoto. We found a map. <laughs> ah. A piece of paper, and it was in English. <laughs> Woo! Language of heaven when we found that thing. You know, <laughs> English, and we got that map, and we found out where we were. I love that. At the mall, you are here. Well, praise the Lord. You know, <laughs> you are here. And then suddenly, it's amazing what a piece of paper does. It, it reframed everything and changed our entire nightmare into a wonderful vacation. It went from frustration to elation. 
from depression to joy. A piece of paper, a, a reference point, a lens became a key that unlocked the whole city of Kyoto. And we went from bus station to place to place using that map as our reference point and had a wonderful experience. The map made all the difference in the world. And I want to tell you today, the sanctuary is the map. This is the map. It's the reference point. It is God's gift to us. And we should use it. Amen? Because it's all about Jesus. It's Jesus in the sanctuary. What is he doing? It's Jesus, the incarnation. It's this plane of salvation through Jesus. And this sanctuary, as we use it as our blueprint for understanding the work of Jesus in us and through us, and the work of Jesus for us in the heavenly sanctuary, this changes our entire experience, just as that map of Kyoto changed ours. Praise his name. Praise his name. Have you ever wondered and doubted whether you've ever, whether you ever will be saved? I have. And those doubts come in. I said, Lord, I hope I'm there. I mean, I'm, I'm just being honest. You know, you, you trust in that assurance of Jesus, but it's by faith, and sometimes those feelings come. And when, when I look at the sanctuary, it's a reminder to me that Jesus has done and is doing everything to save you. I mean, not just your neighbor or that person, you. I mean, think about that. You, as an individual. Jesus is doing and has done everything to save you. The vault of heaven was completely liquidated to save you. When Jesus came, all of heaven was poured out in that gift. What an investment. And today, right now, you can have that assurance of salvation. Do you believe that? Stand with me as we prepare to close this morning. Jesus paid it all. Jesus came to save us. And with every head bowed and eyes closed, I, I just want to make a simple appeal here this morning. Jesus loves you, amen? And today, I don't know where you are in your Christian experience, but if you want to walk in that door through Jesus, Come to that altar and say, Lord, I'm a broken sinner. But I thank you that you are my Savior. And you want to say, Lord, save me. 
most powerful words that you can say. Save me. I want to invite you to raise your hand and say, Lord, save me. You want to come through that door in the sanctuary and say, Lord, save me for your kingdom. I want to make another appeal here this morning. And there's an area of your life that God is calling you to surrender. But you don't have the power to do it. And you want to say, Lord, help me to surrender. There's an area of your life that God is calling you to make a decision on. And you want to lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, all to Jesus I surrender. Help me, Lord. I invite you to come forward for special prayer this morning. There's an area of your life that God is calling you to lay at the altar this morning. And you want to say, Lord, all to Jesus I surrender. Come on, brother, come on forward. And you want to come forward this morning. Don't care about what people think. Praise the Lord. God loves you. God, it's what God's thoughts are that's the most important. And you want to say, Lord... There's an area of my life that I want to lay before the feet of Jesus. I want to invite you to come before the altar this morning and say, Lord, I surrender. I want to lay this area of my life before your feet. And I want to say, Lord, please help me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Praise his name. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that heaven came down, that the glory came to earth, was packaged in humanity, and we were able to see that glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we come this morning I pray for every person that's come forward. You know the area of their life that we struggle with. And we thank you that through Jesus, there is victory. That through Jesus, there is hope. That through Jesus, there is the assurance of salvation. We thank you that we can walk away today knowing that we are saved and knowing that you have given us the victory, not because of the way that we feel, but because of Jesus Christ. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayers, for we pray them not in our name, but in the name and in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.